0: Hi, everyone. My name is Erica. I am our Graham Student Ministry Pastor, and I'm one of our teaching pastors here on staff at Rainier View as well. And I'm so glad that you are joining us as we are going through our series Beyond Bored and Confused. Now, before I was ever on staff here, before I ever had a job, before I ever had any sort of title outside of just my name, I was known as one of the girls. Why? Well, because I have three younger sisters and my parents would sign cards, love, Andy, Teresa and the girls. Uh, People would ask them, where are the girls? Uh, Are the girls coming to this event? What are the girls up to? How are the girls doing? People ask me, hey, how are the other girls doing? We were just part of this unit. We grew up in the same house. We had the same parents. We took the same trips. We went to basically the same schools, elementary through high school. We had a lot of the same teachers. And yet each of us studied different things in college. Each of us are living our lives super differently right now. Each of us look back on our childhood with different perspectives, and each of us would tell you different stories about the exact same event that occurred. And that's because even though we are similar in so many ways, each of us has our own unique outlook. Each of us are our own unique person. So while sometimes there is the expectation that the four of us would be the exact same, for the most part, people respect our individuality. It is, it is quite a gift. Thank you to those that do that. But I think that every once in a while, we get hung up on a really similar problem when we read the Gospels. The Gospels, not unlike the girls, are known for a very specific defining trait. The Gospels are four books that tell of the life that Jesus lived on earth. The girls are Andy and Teresa's four daughters. And because the girls and the Gospels are gathered around this key defining trait, sometimes people put an expectation on them to be exactly the same or for there to be just a ton of similarity between them. But when you look a little closer, you will see that each of them are rich and full and beautiful and reflect different aspects of the same thing. Now, let me be very clear. All of the gospels, very rich. The Anderson girls, we vary in richness. Okay? Okay. Uh, As we are going through this series, Beyond Bored and Confused, we want each person here at RVCC to discover more about the Bible and how we can move from beyond being bored and confused because we now know how to use some tools and use some different information And and that can either help us work through our confusion or help us learn to be a little bit okay with some confusion because let's be honest, we don't always get super clear answers either when it comes to studying the Bible. But as we utilize these tools, we can see how beautiful the Bible is. And these tools can help it come alive for us in new ways. So we have covered narrative and poetry and letters and wisdom in weeks one, two, three, and four of this series. And that's right. You guessed it. Today we're covering the Gospels. So what are the Gospels? The Gospels are four books um, that tell of Jesus' life here on earth. But for starters, the word gospel is actually a translation of the word euangelion, which is a Greek word that means good news. Now, the gospel writers, they didn't invent the word good news. They didn't invent this word or this phrase. It was actually something that the Roman emperors would use when they were getting ready to make a proclamation about what was happening in their kingdom. They would say, hey, here's some good news about what's happening here in Rome. And so the gospel writers took this this already culturally understood word, phrase, experience, and used it as a jumping off point to say, guess what? We have even better news than a human kingdom. We have a good news about the kingdom of God. We have good news about Jesus. And so the four gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John were each written by or attributed to Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And they were so excited about all that they had heard about uh, how Jesus came to earth and how he lived and what he did. And they were like, we have to tell everybody. But each of them felt compelled to write to a specific audience or to highlight specific things about Jesus. So here's what we are gonna do in the rest of our time together. We are gonna cover some super basic information about each of the four gospels. And then we are going to read about a moment that appears in all four gospels. We're gonna read from each of these four books about this same thing that occurred. And then we're gonna talk about why this perspective that each author brings matters. Now, here's what you need to know, okay? Normally, preaching is like this storytelling experience for me. Today, I'm relying really heavily on my notes because today feels a little bit more instructional. So just like, Bear with me, okay? All right, let's let's jump into this together. Okay, so let's start with Matthew, because Matthew is the first one that will show up in your Bibles. Now, when you read through the book of Matthew, you actually won't find any claims as to who the author is. The author of Matthew is anonymous. And there's like a whole conversation about biblical authorship that I did not super study (laughs) before this, and I'm not quite as equipped to enter into in this limited time that we have together. Um, But oftentimes, you will find different books of the Bible, they were either written by the person who it is named after, especially in the New Testament or it is writings that are then attributed to the person that it is named after. So Matthew was, the book of Matthew is attributed to Matthew, who was a tax collector, who was one of the 12 disciples. So he knew Jesus. He walked with Jesus. He spent time with Jesus. He learned directly from Jesus. But because of the anonymous authorship, we don't quite know who the specific audience was that he was writing But scholars have gathered around this idea that a recurring theme that shows up in the book of Matthew is that he wanted his audience to know that Jesus is greater than Moses. Because to a Jewish audience, Moses was like their hero. He was the one that they were aspiring to be like. And Moses was like, no, I am longing for the savior. And guess what? Hey, audience, the savior that Moses was longing for has arrived. All of us have heroes. All of us have people that we look up to and Jesus is greater than all of them. So it's a really natural place for, for Matthew to put his focus. Now we are going to shift ahead to the book of Mark and Mark is fascinating because it is broadly accepted that Mark was actually the first gospel that was written and that puts the writing somewhere between 50 to 70 CE or AD depending on what your preference is there. So the other gospels pulled a lot from what he wrote. So you will find pieces of Mark in almost all of the gospels. You will find um, different ways that he phrased things still appearing um, in those other books. Mark would have worked with both Paul and Peter. And some scholars believe that he actually sat down with Peter and wrote Peter's firsthand account of what he saw Jesus do. Now, one of Mark's recurring themes is that Jesus was a new start for humanity, that the rescue operation that has begun when we read the Old Testament is being fulfilled in the arrival of Jesus and that people are called to live differently and that they will be saved. The next book that we're going to cover real fast uh, is the Gospel of Luke. Now, Luke is written by a doctor. But here's what I also need you to know. When I was 16 years old and I was reading the Bible, Luke has a lot of songs in it. And that was all it took for me to say that Luke was the Taylor Swift of the gospels. Like literally wrote it in my Bible because at 16, I was like, that is so smart. And now at you know, 29, I'm like, that was less smart, but you know, potentially still accurate. Anyways, Luke was a doctor. And so he included a ton of details and specifics in what it was that he wrote. But in between the songs and the details and this beautiful piece that Luke wrote, his recurring theme was that Jesus was God's royal servant who brought light into the world. And scholars put his writing somewhere between 85 to 95 CE or AD. And then finally, we have John, who just like really did his own thing. His gospel is incredibly unique. Um, the author John gets attributed to John, who was one of the disciples and who who has earned the phrase, the one whom Jesus loved. Now, let me be very clear. I think that if you are the one who's broadly known as the one who Jesus loved, I think that you can probably get away with then just like writing your gospel, probably however you want. Like it's still accurate, but you get to just like take your time and write it exactly how you want to. Uh, he, He would have been the last one written probably somewhere between 80 to 100 CE or AD. And John's emphasis was that Jesus is God and is doing something that we could not do for ourselves. John's writings are often longer. And while he doesn't focus so much on like an event, he focuses a ton on the meaning and why different things were specific. And he explains a lot. Now, we are approaching this series from two different angles. One, we want to teach. We want to explain. We want you to feel informed about these different genres of books. And we want you to be excited to read these books. We want you excited to read the gospel, to learn new things, to uncover new things because of the tools and the information that you have learned in this series. So why do the gospels exist? Well, that's because Jesus was real. And he continues to be real. It's because Jesus came to earth and started and then is continuing to do a new work. He was God in human form. He ushered in a new way for humans to connect with God. He shoved the bright and shiny religious elites out of the way and made space for the misfits and the outcasts and the people who weren't even good enough to have their own rabbi. And as he walked on this earth, he made friends, he experienced heartache, he performed miracles, and he healed people. And he never lost sight of his relationship with God. He never gave up on his mission because of its difficulties or its betrayals he kept moving. He gave up his life. He endured public torture. And then he defeated death, reconnected and reconciled with his closest friends. And then he ascended into heaven. And then you can read in the book of Acts all about how then the Holy Spirit shows up and how that is also a total game changer. But today we are sticking with the gospels. So like read Acts on your own time. is super powerful. It's super wonderful. Now we're gonna read about a moment that appears in all four gospels. Like we're literally going to go and read each one together. And and we're gonna talk about then these, how these certain perspectives that we've already covered, why it would matter and how that shows up in the writing. Now, here's a little backstory that you might need to know. Jesus, just like us, had different circles or layers or levels of friendships. There was the one who Jesus loved. There were the three that got to experience some really unique things that the other 12 disciples didn't discover, didn't get to uh, experience. And then there were the 12 disciples who we've already covered. And then there were the 72 that Jesus also taught and trained. And then he sent out into the world. Now, I, it's not specifically labeled when we go through and we read the Bible, but there's another layer in between those 12 and 72, because the gospels also talk about many women who traveled and learned and actually funded the work that the disciples were doing because of their own jobs. His 12 disciples, again, one of his layers of friendships, witnessed so much in their time with him. And they got to be part of so many incredible things. And they spent time with Jesus. And, and when you travel with someone, I just think you learn things about them that you wouldn't know normally. And they knew Jesus so well, but there was one who never fully understood what Jesus was here to do. There was one who never fully got his vision, and that is Judas. Judas was one of his 12 disciples, and Judas was also the one who ultimately betrayed him. And so they are sitting around at the Last Supper together, and Judas leaves so he can go meet up with his conspirators and be like, okay, we've got, we've got the plan in place. Let's go. And something that's super interesting is that all four Gospels cover what happens when Judas leaves the Last Supper, It it covers what Jesus said to his remaining 11 disciples. And so that's what we are going to read about together today. And I picked this for two reasons. One, we all want to be cool, good, chill people who honor and love Jesus. But we also all love some drama. And this is like biblical drama that we are going to get to read and cover together. Look, right. This is just where we are. Also. These are some of the last things that Jesus says before he goes to the cross. These contain power and importance and I think really beautiful things for us to walk away with. So let's jump in together. Now, we are not going to read this in the Matthew, Mark, Luke, John order because one of the things that I want you to feel comfortable with is being able to read these gospels out of order. Because they all can stand alone. And they also create something really beautiful together. So that's what we're gonna do. Now, if you are um, new to Rainier View, What I want you to know is that we normally spend a lot of time camped out in one passage. So today is a pretty unique uh, thing that we're doing where we are going to jump to four different passages together. And I'm going to work really hard to pause and give some space for you to like flip there or type there, swipe there, whatever it needs to be for you. I do have the advantage of like it's printed out in front of me. I get to just read it from here but I'm going to do my best. I'm, I'm, I'm cheering for you as we go through this together. Uh, So let's start with John chapter 13, verses 31 to 38. Now, Here's something that is so tricky about uh, reading in the New Testament, reading the Gospels. There is the book of John, but there is also 1 John, Second John, and 3 John. Um, and more often than not, I have to be really, really clear when I'm talking with people, especially my students. i like, hey, go to just John. Don't let there be a 1 or a 2 or a 3 before the word John. Go to just John. Because more often than not, I've been like, hey, go to John chapter 10. And and then someone will raise their hand and be like, um, that doesn't exist. And I'm like, what do you mean it? it doesn't exist. And they'll be like, it's not here. And I'm like, well, that's because you are in Second John. So we're going to just John today. Just John chapter 13, verses 31 to 38. And this is what it reads. When he was gone, Jesus said, now the son of man is glorified and God is glorified in him. Everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. Simon Peter asked him, Lord, where are you going? Jesus replied, where I am going, you cannot follow now, but you will follow later. Peter asked, Lord, why can't I follow you? I will lay down my life for you. Then Jesus answered, will you really lay down your life for me? Very truly, I tell you, before the rooster crows, you will disown me three times. And instead of breaking it down right away, let's go to the next passage. We're gonna to go to Mark chapter 14, verses 27 to 31. Now, when I was in Bible college, I took a class on the gospel of Mark. So now this gospel like sits in such a little sweet spot in in my soul because my professor did such a powerful job of teaching this class. And it was one of the last classes that I took. And someday I will tell you about like the last class of instruction. Um, But we don't have time for that today. We've got a lot of things that we have to cover. Okay, so Mark chapter 14, verse 27 says, You will all fall away, Jesus told them, for it is written, I will strike the shepherd and the sheep will be scattered. But after I have risen, I will go ahead of you into Galilee. Peter declared, even if all fall away, I will not. Truly, I tell you, Jesus answered, today, yes, tonight, before the rooster crows twice, you yourself will disown me three times. But Peter insisted emphatically, even if I have to die with you, I will never disown you. And all the others said the same. Our next place is Matthew chapter 26, verses 31 to 35. Now, I didn't actually start going to church until I was in middle school. Um, I was like a spunky, intense middle schooler. um, And if you're new here, you're like, oh, that's some good, helpful background. If you've been here a while, you're like, yeah, and that actually didn't leave you and and you're not wrong. But anyways, I remember reading this for the first time and I was like, Matthew, I have a named Matthew. How cool. I was like, are you part of the Bible? And I mean, I knew he wasn't, but it just, it was, it was was a cool moment. It was very cool. Anyways, Matthew chapter 26, verse 31. This is what it reads. And then Jesus told them this very night, you will all fall away on account of me for it is written. I will strike the shepherd and the sheep of the flock will be scattered. But after I have risen, I will go ahead of you into Galilee. Peter replied, even if all fall away on account of you, I never will. Truly, I tell you, Jesus answered, this very night before the rooster crows, you will disown me three times. But Peter declared, even if I have to die with you, I will never disown you. And all the other disciples said the same. All right, now let's go to Luke chapter 22, verses 31 to 38. Now, here's here's some insider scoop. I'm telling you these little stories before we get there as the thing to buy time for you to like flip to that, that, that section. And, and I already told you my funny Luke anecdote at the top about Luke kind of being like Taylor Swift. So I'm gonna like take a quick sip of water and then we'll keep going, okay? Okay, great. So Luke chapter 22, verses 31 to 38. This is what it reads. Simon, Simon, Satan has asked to sift all of you as wheat. But I have prayed for you, Simon, that your faith may not fail. And when you have turned back, strengthen your brothers. But he replied, "Lord, I am ready to go with you to prison and to death." Jesus answered, "I tell you, Peter, the rooster crow before the rooster crows today you will deny me th- you will deny 3 times that you know me." Then Jesus asked them, "When I sent you without purse bag or sandals, did you lack anything? Nothing, they answered. He said to them, but now if you have a purse, take it and also a bag. And if you don't have a sword, sell your cloak and buy one. It is written, he was numbered with the transgressors. And I tell you that this must be fulfilled in me. Yes, what is written about me is reaching its fulfillment. The disciples said, see Lord, here are two swords. That's enough, he replied. This feels like by far the most intense one out of all of them. I don't know if you feel that way. That's how I feel. Now, technically we're done, but I do want to let you know that John chapters 14 through 17 continue to tell us about what happened after Judas left the upper room, after he had left the last supper and it's three chapters. And some of the things that he covers is like Jesus promising the Holy Spirit. Uh, Them being pruned like branches, Jesus offering them comfort, uh, Jesus prepping them for the hatred that they would face. And then Jesus prays for them and all the believers and included in his prayer is this. This is in John chapter 17. My prayer is not for them alone. I also pray for all those who will believe in me through their message, that all of them may be one Father, just as you are in me and I am in you may they also be in us so that the world may believe that you have sent me i have given them the glory that you gave me that they may be one as we are one i in them and you and me so that they may be brought to complete unity then the world will know that you sent me and have loved them as you has loved as you have loved me this is a prayer that our staff has prayed multiple times. This is a prayer that our whole church has prayed as we are trying to be unified around the things that God has called Rainier View to step into. It's beautiful and it's wonderful. And I love that we get to pray specifically the words of Jesus. Okay, now that we have read all four of those passages, let's look back, let's look back and we can talk about those different themes that we have emphasized. So. John was passionate about people understanding that Jesus is God and doing what we could not do for ourselves. So it would make a ton of sense in his writing that he would really emphasize the glory piece, that there is glory in him because of his connection to the Father, that we would find glory if we lived like Jesus that if we followed Jesus, if our lives reflected him, and while Jesus was doing the thing that only he could do, which was live a perfect life and go to the cross, what we can do is love one another, but not to earn someone else's love, but because the love that Jesus gives us fills us up to be able to love others. The passage from Mark is super interesting because his focus is on Jesus being a new start to humanity. But here's what he writes. Verse 27, you will all fall away, Jesus told them, for it is written, I will strike the shepherd and the sheep will be scattered. But after I've risen, I will go ahead of you into Galilee. So he actually is calling back to Zechariah chapter 13, verse 17, which is an Old Testament prophet. So that's the like, it is written. He is quoting this, this prophet. And he calls back to what they've known, that the sheep are gonna scatter, that, that Jesus's disciples they're gone, they're scattering, they're dispersing. And that's for a whole lot of reasons. But Jesus is going to rise. And when he rises this way that they were so familiar with will be changed and Jesus will be the start of something new. Now, the Matthew passage is actually virtually the same. Did you you catch that as we were reading? But Matthew is focused on his audience, who most likely would have had deep respect and admiration for Moses because they would have been Jewish. And he is helping them see that what has arrived is exceeding their expectations and what was foretold. Like what Moses was longing for, what he was working towards, has now arrived in Jesus and what he has done. And Luke's emphasis is on Jesus was God's royal servant who brought light into the world. But then why on earth in this would, would, would Jesus, would Luke's quotation of Jesus talk about swords and talk about Satan? Well, it's for a few reasons. One, each of them was gonna struggle and face questions and doubts and hardships. Would their faith in God be greater than their discouragement in their trials? Jesus is posing that question to them. Will the light that he brought overcome the darkness that was beginning to surround them? These are these are the things that Jesus is, is questioning of them and challenging them to really ponder because things are about to get really intense because that's why he brings up swords. Um, there, there are probably two implications to the use of swords. One, uh, scholars have, have noted that prior to his death, like the religious elites and some rulers, like they didn't love Jesus, but everyone else thought Jesus was pretty cool. He fed people, he healed people. They thought that he was going to like take down these powerful things. So so most people were like, yeah, like Jesus and his disciples and the 72 that he sends out, they're okay, they're, they're pretty chill in my book. So they didn't have to be sent out with swords and with a ton of supplies because there was a respect element and people would have been eager to help them along in their journey. But now Jesus is going to go to the cross and Jesus knows that what he is about to do is going to, you know, ruffle some feathers if you want to put it casually, but it's going to cause a lot of problems. He wants them to be physically prepared for the situations that they might find themselves in. We, but he also wants for them to be spiritually prepared. I love sunshine, I love light, I love, I love summer days, I love Christmas lights, like bring it on. But do you know what I hate? When I've like had my eyes closed and it's been dark and then someone turns the light on really bright in my eyeballs. I don't always have a kind reaction. The disciples were going to continue to be people who were bringing light to the world. The reaction would not always be kind or favorable. So there would be physical opposition, but they needed to be spiritually prepared as well. There would be temptations, discouragement, sadness, hard work, downright defeat and deception. And, and, and here's kind of where it collides with our world today. Yes, we do need to be physically prepared for things. We need to be smart. We need to be appropriately prepared for the world that we live in, which means like, When you walk through a parking lot, keep your eyes up, lock your doors at night. But are you also spiritually prepared for the frustration, for the discouragement that is going to come your way? Because in the world that we live in, do you know where discouragement comes from? It comes from social media. Discouragement comes from the news. Discouragement comes from interactions with our coworkers. We have to be spiritually prepared for those moments. Another thing that I found really, really interesting is that all four of these Gospels included the moment where Peter, is, or where, where Peter is saying like, look, Jesus, I'm ready to follow you. And Jesus is like, no, actually, you're not going to. You're going to disown me. You're not going to claim that you knew me. But all of them also include Jesus raising from the dead and then meeting back up with his 11 remaining disciples commissioning them challenging them restoring relationship with them and in John it is specifically included that that Jesus commissions Peter to feed his sheep aka build up the church there are going to be times and moments where we fall away where we do the wrong thing where we mess up Jesus is eager to rebuild and reconcile those moments and that can be found in all of the gospels. So why read all four gospels? Why read one gospel? Why do the gospels matter at all? It is because we need hope that God will make all things right and that forgiveness is available to all of us. I don't wanna be the one to make the world right. I don't wanna have to secure my salvation because honestly, I will give up my salvation for something easier in the long run the gospels in all of their beauty and different angles and occasionally confusing moments. We can own that here together. Have the power to change us inside and then live lives differently as we go into the world. Live lives that are better than we anticipated. Offer us a fresh start and remind us that we are dependent on a savior who can do something for us that we could never do for ourselves. If you are wanting more resources, there is a podcast that I'm listening to this year called Let's Read the Gospels, and there will be links or QR codes to that um, that you can use to follow that. It goes through and it reads all four Gospels every month, and I just get to listen to it. You can also go on YouVersion and you can find this 30-day gospel reading plan, or there is a 90-day gospel reading plan if that feels like it is just a little too scrunched in on time for you. The Gospels have encouraged me, the Gospels have reminded me that as much as I wanna be close to Jesus, Jesus wants to be closer to me. He has not forgotten me and he has not abandoned me in my hardest moments. Read the Gospels because the Gospels give us hope that God will make all things right and forgiveness is available to all of us.